My Bible's open tonight to the 118th Psalm. I hope you'll open your Bible there. Psalm 118, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 1. The 118th Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Now, verse 5. From my distress... I called upon the Lord. Is that not the subject that we're talking about this week? From my distress, from the very uh, difficult times in which I am faced, he said, I called upon the Lord. And the Lord answered me, and he set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want you to take your pen or your pencil, and I want you to underline those words. The Lord is for me. Underline those. Mark those. But more than just marking them in your Bible, mark them in your mind. Cement that thought. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there will be times in your life in which you're going to go through the valley of the shadows and you're going to begin to wonder, does God really care? And remember this verse. The Lord is for me. God is real. No matter how you feel. Let me say that again. God is real. No matter how you feel. If you forget everything else that is said tonight, that's the statement I want you to remember. And here's why it's so important. It is easy, ladies and gentlemen, to worship God when things are great. It is easy to worship God when you have great friends and you have great family. It's easy to worship God when you're healthy. It's easy to worship God when you're surrounded by happy situations. It's easy to praise Him then. It's easy to worship God when you're surrounded by others of like mind. And as has happened this evening... You lift your voice in song, and suddenly your voice is joined in a chorus of other believers, and you find yourself singing with so many others. That's uplifting, and that's encouraging. And it is easy to worship God then. It's easy to worship God when you walk along a quiet beach in solitude. Or you sit upon a mountain peak and the words of how great thou art just seem to seep into the soul. It's easy to worship God then. But I will tell you something tonight. I think those occasions to be the exceptions rather than the rule. Because I can't speak for you, but I will tell you about me. My life is not always happy every day. 
My voice, more times than not, during the course of time, is singing alone and is not joined immediately by a chorus of others. And my mountaintop experiences, I have had them, but I will say to you, they are rare compared to the nights down in the valley. So here's my question. How do you worship God when you don't feel like it? How do I maintain a relationship with God and how do I maintain a friendship with Him when at times God seems so distant from me? He seems so far away from me. How do I do that? So I want to talk with you tonight about the deepest kind of worship. I want to talk with you about the deepest kind of relationship with Him. When you reach the point that you can praise God in spite of your pain, when you can thank Him in spite of the trials you're going through, when you can trust Him even though things are happening you don't understand, and when you can love Him even when He seems like He is a million miles away. Is that easy to do? No, sir. That is not easy to do. Friendship is often tested by separation. Friendship is often tested by separation. Now, that's true in human relationships. I don't know why it would not be so when it comes to spiritual ones. When Julie and I were dating, I would drive to her home on Friday evening and I would pick her up and we would go out to dinner. And the next Friday night, I would drive to her home and pick her up and we would go out to dinner. And the next Friday night, and the next, and the next. And you say, well, big deal. Well, it was a big deal because there's a little minute detail I didn't tell you. She lived 350 miles away. And so I was driving 700 miles for a date. And that went on for several weeks and a few months, and we got married. Because, frankly, I couldn't afford not to. It was expensive. What's the old saying about absence? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Fonder. That's true, but not always. Sometimes absence makes the heart grow weaker. Sometimes through separation, we lose that sense of closeness. Have you never had a friend move away? Have you never, never had a very close friend to move and you say to each other, we're going to stay close, we're going to stay connected, we're going to call, we're going to write, we're just going to, nothing's going to change. And yet you know as well as I that eventually time and distance take their toll. And relationships tend to grow apart. That's why I say friendship is tested 
by separation. Now, it's the same with God. In your friendship with Him, in your relationship with God, you're not going to always feel close to Him. In your friendship with God, there's going to be at times pendulum swings from one side unto the other. And I will tell you, that's when worship gets difficult. And that's when faith gets hard. Can you worship Him? Can you embrace Him? Can you believe in Him when you're going through a tough period in your life and the feelings just aren't there? There will be times in your life when God will seem like He is a million miles removed. There will be times in which you will have feelings that maybe God has abandoned me. Maybe God has forgotten about me. Maybe God doesn't care about me anymore. And we look at that and we think, why am I thinking this way? There must be something wrong with me. I must be the only person to ever have these kinds of thoughts. And I will tell you a little secret. You're not the only person to ever have those thoughts. Look in the 10th Psalm. Psalm number 10, verse 1. Psalm 10, verse 1. Listen to the psalmist. Is this not what we're talking about? He writes and he says, Why dost thou stand afar off, O Lord? Why dost thou hide thyself in times of trouble? You know what question he's asking? Lord, why does it seem like you are hiding at the very time when I need you the most? Where are you, God? I am hurting. Where are you? Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, we read that verse and we immediately jump ahead to the cross and the seven sayings of Jesus. And we say, that's prophetic. And it is. But like most prophecies, there's a dual meaning here. David is the author of these words. It is David who's feeling this, and this is what he's feeling. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, and I have no rest. Where are you, God? He wants to know. Psalm 43, verse 2. Psalm 43, verse Two, for thou art the God of my strength. Why hast thou rejected me? And one more, Psalm 89, Psalm 89 and verse 46. How long, O Lord, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Where are you? The psalmist is asking. Now, here's the truth. The truth is, God had not walked away from these psalmists any more than God has walked away from you. I, rem I remind you of the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 31, 
where Moses is speaking in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. And this is what he reminds God's people. And it's a great reminder for all of us. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Don't we sing a song about that? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you and he will not forsake you. Who's saying this? Moses. Did Moses know anything about a relationship with God? Uh, yes, he did. He had 12 decades of first-hand knowledge of what he's talking about. Verse 8, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. Take out your pen or your pencil and underline those words. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And I'll tell you how powerful a promise that is. It is repeated in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, where God says, I will never desert you. I will never leave you. That is a promise. That doesn't mean, ladies and gentlemen, that as you and I go through the hard times of life and through the valley of the shadows, that doesn't mean that you and I won't at times have feelings of absence and feelings of separation and feelings of wondering if God really knows what I'm going through and does God really care. you ever prayed and just felt nothing? Have you ever come to worship and, and, and you left and you just, you just felt empty? Have you ever gone through periods of your life when God just seemed like He was so far removed from your present situation? And we look at that and we say, wait a minute, I shouldn't be thinking this. What's wrong with me? And maybe the answer is not anything. Maybe it is a normal part of your growing in your faith and your maturing and working through all of this stuff. I mean, the same David who said to the Lord, why do you seem so far away from me sometimes, is the same man of whom the Lord said, there is a man after my own heart. Well, what's going on? Well, there were pendulum swings in their relationship. There were times David felt disconnected. But here's the point of the lesson, ladies and gentlemen. David's feelings, David's emotions betrayed him. And so will yours. And so will yours. Job, Job went through the same thing. In Job 23, verse 8 and 9, listen to what he says. Job 23 and verse 8. He says, Behold, I go forward, but God isn't there. And backward, but I cannot perceive Him. When He acts on the left, I cannot behold Him. He turns on the right, I cannot see Him. Where is God when I hurt? Job is asking. He's asking the same question. Job is feeling disconnected. And now Job understood that working through those emotions and those feelings was a vital part of growing up in his faith. And so in verse 8 and 9, he confesses, 
He confesses the, the feelings of his heart. And in verse 10, he also confesses what he knows to be true. God knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job felt disconnected, but he knew that God was with him. He knew God was there. Now then, maybe we need to take just a moment and pause and remind ourselves of something that I think we already know, but let's make double sure. There are times in our lives when God seems distant because He is. And He is distant not because He has turned and walked away and left us. He's distant because we're the ones who turned and walked away and left Him. May I remind you that sin does separate you from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, and neither is His ear so dull that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Point being that there are times that I may feel disconnected from God because I'm the one who broke the connection. I'm not living right. I'm operating my life in contradistinction to what He has said in His Word, and I'm the one that broke the connection, and I'm the one that walked away. So I can't blame God for something that I have done. It's like the man and his wife, and they're driving along in the car, and they're up in age, and they look ahead, and there's a young couple in the vehicle right in front of them, and she says to her husband, she says, oh, Harold, look at them. Look at them. Oh, she's got her head over on his shoulder, and they're all scrunched up together. Remember, Harold, remember when we used to do that? When we used to drive along, and I would sit up scrunched up next to you, and I would put my head on your shoulder. You remember those days. Now look at us, Harold. You're way over there under the wheel, and I'm way over here next to the door. Harold was a man of few words. It was ten miles later when he finally spoke and said, I never moved. You wonder, does God ever say that with us? Does He ever say, I I never moved. You are the one who moved. You're the one who walked away. You know, when I read the story of the prodigal son, and I read about the young man coming to his senses and turning around and coming home, I'm grateful for that. There's a tremendous lesson in that. But I will tell you, that's not, that is not the most powerful thing in the story. The most powerful thing in the story, ladies and gentlemen, is the boy was able to turn around and go home because he had a home to go home to. You know why? Because his father had never moved. How do you think Peter was able to turn around after the denials and come back to the Lord? Because he had a father that never moved. That's why King David could turn around and come back. Because he had a father who never moved. That's how you and I can turn our lives around and come back because our father never That's a whole other lesson. 
We, we could preach another sermon just dealing with, with, with the effects of sin and the separation it causes between us and God. That's not this sermon. I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about feelings of abandonment and feelings that maybe God doesn't care about me anymore. It doesn't have anything to do with sin. It may be a test of your faith. Will you continue to love God and worship Him and obey Him when you don't feel that connected? I think this highlights a very common mistake we make. And that is this. We seek sometimes an emotional high. We seek an emotional experience instead of seeking Him. We seek the subjective feeling more than we seek Him. And if the feeling happens, then I come to the conclusion, well, God is right here with me. If the feeling doesn't happen, then I, can, I come to the conclusion, well, God doesn't care about me anymore. God has abandoned me. When that's not true. Maybe God removes our feelings sometimes so that we won't always depend on them. Because I will tell you a little secret about your emotions. They're not that dependable. There were times when David did not feel close to God. There were times when Job didn't feel close to God. But even though the feelings weren't there, each of them and others confessed what they knew to be true. That even though at times... God seemed a million miles away. They knew that He was right there with them. You see, feelings and facts can be two different things. Sometimes they are brought together in wonderful harmony. Sometimes we feel what we know is true. But sometimes we go through such difficulties in life and, and hardships in life that sometimes the feelings just aren't there. And I will tell you, when the feelings aren't there, that's when you have to focus on the facts. And the fact is, God is always next to His children. The fact is, God says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the presence of God in our lives... Listen closely. The presence of God in our lives is too profound to be measured by our emotional ups and downs. I believe God wants you to sense His presence. I believe God wants you to sense that He is working in your life. Philippians 2 and verse 13 says that. God is at work in you. And God wants you to know that. But more than that, He wants you to trust Him. Even when things happen in your life and you don't understand why. Even when you say with the psalmist, where are you? I'm hurting so bad. God, where are you? There will be situations in your life where your faith will be stretched and it will be stretched and it will be stretched as far as it can go. And there will be times in your life when things just fall apart. And if you just go by your emotions, 
God is nowhere to be found. That's what happened to Job. The man lost everything. He lost everything. And for 37 chapters, he kept asking the same question we asked. Why is this happening to me? And God never answered the question. Job's asking, why, why, why? And the heavens are silent. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with it? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus, said the Hebrew writer? Focus your eyes on Jesus. Well, how do you do that? When your eyes are filled with tears because of the hardship and the tragedy that you're facing. Well, I'll tell you the answer. You've got to do what Job did, and you have to do what David did. There's days and nights where you just have to walk on the facts when the feelings aren't there. And how do you do that? How do you do that? So let me leave you tonight with four, I just call them bullet points, quick points, that will help us do that very thing. To focus on the facts rather than the feelings. Four things you've got to do. Number one, the first thing you have to do is you have to get real with God. And you have to tell Him exactly how you feel. Look in Job chapter 7 and verse 11. That's what Job did. He got real with God. Job 7 and verse 11. Listen to Job. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I've read from people who said, you know, Job didn't really say that. Uh, yeah, he did. Yes, he did. He did say that because that's how he was feeling. But I'll tell you something about God. God is such a trusted friend that you and I can tell Him anything. There's not anything He cannot handle. We say that. Can God handle, can God handle everything about you? Why, sure He can. He can handle your doubt. He can handle your anger. He can handle your frustration. He can handle your grief. He can handle your confusion. He can handle your question. He can handle everything about you. You ever have a friend with whom you just felt comfortable that you could just be yourself? A friend who would listen to you and you knew, you knew they had your heart with them. And so they would keep the grain and blow away the chaff. And you could just open up your heart and you could just share with them. What a blessing. On the other hand, have you had guarded friends? Have you had people about whom you would just kind of tiptoe around in conversation? That you would kind of just watch what you say? And as a result, your conversation would always just skate along the surface. It would never go beneath the waterline, but it would always just skate along the surface. Why? Because we're not so sure we can trust them. You don't have to do that with God. Why do you think the words of David are, are contained in Scripture? Why do you think the words of Job are there? 
God is sending us a message. God allowed them to say what was on their heart, and He still loved them. Just like He still loves you. You know, I think sometimes about, about communication in a family, parents and children. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your children or you want to have with your children, but I will tell you it is based upon honest communication. As a parent, do you want your children just coming to you and telling you what they think you want to hear? Is that the kind of relationship you want with them? Do you want conversation from them that just skates the surface? Do you want conversation from them that is just rote and as a result they just keep telling you the same things over and over and over again? You don't want that with your kids and God doesn't want that with His kids. He wants His children to be real. If one of my kids are hurting, I want to talk about it. If they're angry with their father, let's talk about it. If I've made a decision and they don't understand it or they don't agree with it, let's talk about it. Because I will tell you, only on the basis of communication will there come understanding. And only on the basis of communication and understanding will there come trust. Let's quit skating along the surface in our talks with God, shall we? Let's think about how we pray. And let's quit praying only from the standpoint of, this is what I think God wants to hear, but this is not what's really in my heart. Because I've got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. He knows what's in your heart, and He knows if you're being real or not. So let's get real. That's what I learned from the Psalms. And that's what I learned from Job. Tell God how you feel. Number two, focus on His unchanging nature. You see, regardless of your circumstances, confess what you know to be true. There are facts about God you know are true. You know, regardless of what's going on in your life, you know that God is good. And you know that God loves you. And you know that God knows what you're going through. And you know that He cares about you. And you know that He has a purpose for your still being here. You know all of that. And you know those things are true. So never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. I was in Bowling Green, Kentucky last year. And I was in a bookstore. And I came across this picture. And at first I was going to go out to the car and write down the words in the picture. And then I thought, well, you cheapskate. Why don't you buy it? It was only $20. And I'm, I'm glad I did. And I want to share with you what it said. You may want to write this down. It was scratched into a wall in Germany by an individual hiding from the Nazis. And this is what she wrote. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. And I believe in love 
even when I am alone. And I believe in God even when He is silent. That's good stuff. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when I am alone. And I believe in God even when He is silent. When Job's life fell apart and God was silent, do you know that Job still found things to be thankful for? Punctuated throughout the book of Job are blessings. Acknowledged blessings from Job as he thought about God. My favorite is in chapter 19 and verse 25, where Job writes these words, For I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And from that verse, we sing the song that we sang earlier tonight. I know that my Redeemer lives. There's some songs that we sing that we just, we just sing better. We, we just sing with all of our heart. And that's just one of them. We sing that song with great fervor and emotion. And as we sing that song, I know that my Redeemer lives, we think to ourselves, whoever originally wrote those words must have been sitting on top of a mountain somewhere, must have been having a spiritual high in his life. But you're wrong. Because Job's the one who originally wrote those words. And he wasn't sitting up on top of some mountain. He was in the lowest valley of his life. And notice, ladies and gentlemen, he did not say, I feel that my Redeemer lives. He said, I know He does. And that's what we have to do. Focus on the nature of God. Third, trust God to do what He says. Trust God to keep His promises. In other words, don't be troubled when trouble comes because your circumstances are not going to change the promises of God. God is for you. Remember the passage? God is for you. Even when you and I go through periods of life and we think maybe He's not, but He is. And He will do what He said He will do. And number four, Remember what He's already done. Remember what He's already done. We are bad about throwing on personal qualifications to the love of God. We do that all the time. And we say to ourselves, you know, if God really loved me, He would not have allowed my sister to die. If God really loved me, then my husband would not have walked out on me. If God really loved me, then I wouldn't have lost my job. If God really loved me, then my parents wouldn't have gotten a divorce. If God really loved me, then that accident would have never happened. If God really loved me. Do you realize the implications of that? I will tell you very forthrightly, if God never did another thing for you, He still deserves your best because of what He has already done. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to His own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Maybe we need to keep going back to the cross and remember what he has done for us already. Have things happened in your life and you don't understand? Have you gone through the valleys? If you have, then you know what I'm talking about. And you know the emotions and you know the feelings and you know how that you have to work through a lot of stuff. There's anger and there's hurt and there's confusion and there's depression. But at the end of the day, none of that works. And none of that solves anything. What works is when you come clean with God and you get on your knees and you say, I am angry. I am angry. I'm depressed. I'm hurting. I don't understand why this has happened. But God, i got nowhere else to go. And You have promised never to leave me. And I'm not going to walk away either. And He will stay with you. And there will be days when you may not feel it, but you will know it. And what you will know is, I know that my Redeemer lives and that He cares for me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a fact that no feeling can ever Erase. Don't forget that. I don't know how many times I have been asked this question. How do people make it who aren't Christians? How do people make it who aren't Christians? And I've been asked that in funeral homes, in surgical waiting rooms, in various other places and situations where people are going through the hardest of times, how do people make it who aren't Christians? And there was a time in my life when I would shrug my shoulders and I would say, I don't know. But that's not a good answer because that's not the answer. I'll tell you the answer. Here's what I've learned. The answer to the question of how do people make it who aren't Christians? They don't. They don't make it. They fake it. Because when people have a hole in their soul, they do everything under the sun to keep filling it up. And they fill it up with everything and nothing lasts. Some people become alcoholics. Why? Because they're trying to fill up the hole in their soul. So they don't have to deal with it. Some people become workaholics. Why? Because they're trying to fill up the hole so they don't have to deal with it. I'm firmly convinced that some people pour their lives into hobbies, recreation, entertainment, which is not a bad thing in and of itself, 
But I will tell you, there are people who do those kinds of things because there's a hole in their soul and they're trying to fill it up with something so they don't have to think about it, so they don't have to deal with it. I had to go to Owensboro, Kentucky, a few weeks ago on a Sunday. And I left and it was still dark. And by the time I got to LP Field, the sun was coming up. The Titans had a home game. You know how I knew they had a home game? Because everybody's out there putting up their tents and they're tailgating. And the sun's just coming up and the game's not till noon. And I look over there and I just say, get a life. Get a, get a, get a life. And I guarantee you that some of those people, they're trying to fill up the hole. Only Jesus can fill up the hole, folks. Only Jesus can fill up the hole. Only Jesus Christ will give you hope with which to live and get up tomorrow morning. No matter how bad it is, Jesus is the only one that will enable you to get up with a purpose to live. And He can fill up the ache. And He can fill up the hole. And in fact, He can turn you into someone to help somebody else fill up their hole. Isn't that what Paul tells us to do in 2 Corinthians 1? Therefore, as we have received the comfort of God, let us in turn comfort others with the comfort that we have received. May God bless us as we walk through this valley of tears. Because as we said last night, life is hard. And some days it just gets even harder. Don't quit. Don't lose your faith.